in a prison turned monastic community, a new danger arrives in the form of a woman in Alien 3. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. <laughs> and, and I thought it was Alien Cubed. From everything yeah. I see, it's got the tiny three. It is true. This is Alien <laughs> Cubed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the Monsters vs. Men podcast, the bargain basement of the Monster Podcasting Airwaves, where two friends try to stay alive and stay connected by chatting about weekly monster movies. This week, Alien 3. Ooh. Alex. Uh, do you like that new tagline, by the I way? I did. I, I, yeah. I was like just shocked about it. It was like yeah, it was a little different, right? Have you been practicing that one in the mirror for a little while because <laughs> it just flowed so so perfectly? It did. It did flow. I liked it. Uh, no, I was just thinking about it. I was just thinking about it because that's kind of an apt description of our podcast, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's what we're trying to do: two friends staying connected by chatting about weekly monster movies. That's, that's right. What this, that's what this. That's what this show's about, man. Uh, well, this week, Alex, we do have episode 163 for Alien 3. That feels like a lot. It does feel like a lot. It does. It does feel like a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. It is, it is a lot. lot. It really it's is. It's more than most podcasts get to, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Plus, I would say, when did we start our MVM Plus? Uh, it's been going for over... Two years now. We're over 100 episodes with that, too, right? Yeah, it's no, like, it's like 120 something episodes. So it's a lot of episodes. It is a lot. It's a, it's a lot. Yeah, our last episode was 123 Shoot. at the time of recording this. Uh, and we do record a couple weeks ahead of time. So probably 125 are out mm. right now. That's a lot, Alex. Just it is say. a lot. It is a lot. We're, we're pretty incredible. <laughs> I mean, that's just the longest. And, and this of. week, this week, we didn't even watch one movie. We watched two movies, basically. That's right. That's uh, right. Because we watched the theatrical cut of Alien 3 and the quote-unquote assembly cut of Alien 3, which we're going to be reviewing here, the assembly cut. Is that right, Alex? That's right. Well, you know, we'll make a, we'll make a few references to the theatrical cut because it's probably necessary. Yeah. Uh, for some people that may not have seen the theatrical or maybe not seen, you know, if they've only seen one version of the movie – it might be helpful to send them on their way and see if maybe watching the other version is worth their time or not. Yeah. So what I'll say is I'm going to try my best to forego comparisons to the theatrical cut. Um, I'll save that for MVM plus we'll, we'll take a deep dive into kind of the comparisons and what we like or dislike kind of comparing the two on MVM plus, which one we like better, the differences we'll get into all that. I'm going to try to just take, the assembly cut as the movie itself for this review as much as possible. Okay. Um, I, I'll probably make a few small or quick references cursory, but like you said, we're going to save that stuff yeah. really for uh, MVM plus this week. With that said, I, th- I still think we have a lot this week with just the assembly cut to talk about. So shall we dive in? Let's do it. As the third director of the Alien franchise, David Fincher takes the helm in his first major motion picture, Alien 3. 
Set in the almost immediate aftermath of Aliens, Alien 3 basically starts the film by negating all that happened at the end of Aliens, much to some fans' chagrin. Mm. But did this choice in the writing detract from your enjoyment, Alex? Or are the fans, not surprisingly, making a big ado about nothing? I mean, honestly, I do hate the decisions made at the beginning of this film to kill Newton Hicks and... You know, somewhat horrifying fashion, uh, more so in the theatrical version than this one. But uh, <laughs> mm. I, uh, especially Newt, I think has done quite a disservice in the other version. But I do like that we killed these. <sighs> so I don't like that we kill the characters <laughs> off. <laughs> and it bothers me every time I think about the movie. Mm-hmm. That being said, if I take this film for what it is as a whole, I don't really have a lot to complain about, Mm. Uh, especially in the extended version of this film. In in many ways, it feels like it's a back-to-basics approach for the series. You know, gone are the weapons. Our characters are again trapped with with an alien. This time, it's even more aggressive than it was in the original. Uh, and I and definitely more aggressive, I would say, than any we've seen before. Despite mm-hmm. you know being chased by hundreds of them in the last film, um, and even though we're back to basics, though this is not the same film. Mm-hmm. Our setting is so much different, all the way down to its color palette. Yet it still feels like it fits perfectly in this universe. Mm-hmm. The tone. Uh, is a little more nihilistic, much more so in the theatrical edition than this one. I think the assembly cut actually lessens that issue I have with the film. Um, It just seems a little less angry in the assembly cut. Maybe because we have more character arcs and are just in general, uh, I just have improved characterizations in this. I I love what we get with all these characters. All in all, though, I know know Fincher is kind of ashamed of this film. Mm. But he really shouldn't be. The, the film is, I think, maybe a shining beacon of what uh, a creature feature should be for sure, especially in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, with that, you know, I, I think that he should not be quite as ashamed of this film as he is, even though with the assembly cut, he didn't really have anything to do with it. Oh, really? Huh. Yes. Yeah, oh. it was edited by somebody else. Interesting. Uh, based on what you know, what the original plan for the movie hmm. was hmm. Um, before studios got heavily involved. I def- I want to hear about that for sure. Um, but yeah, so so here's the thing. I, I either have the opportunity or the burden, depending on how you might look at it, of watching both Aliens and Alien Three back to back. So in I think, one day? Well, no, just back to back and week to week, right? Uh, I did watch, I did basically watch the theatrical and assembly cut in the same day. But uh, I, so I, I just think my perspective might be different than the usual fan who had the opportunity to sit with aliens for a couple of years before Alien 3 was released, right? Um, so I've got to say, I'm, I'm not disappointed with the start of this film at all, honestly. And part of that is because of what I said last week. Which was what was which was that I wasn't attached to any of those side characters, especially the ones that survived in, in Aliens. I really mostly cared about Ripley, who again steals the show here in Alien Three. Mm-hmm. I really like the continuation of her character because it just makes perfect sense to me. She becomes even more hardened and more cynical in this one. But mm. that also makes her more willing to do whatever it takes to destroy the evil 
that as she says, has been with her for as long as she remembers. Yes. This is another aspect of this writing that I liked, uh, which is the spiritual and religious element at the core of this one. Ripley is able to relate to the prisoners as truly flawed human beings. And I think Fincher is able to bring this to the forefront in this movie. And this really is Fincher's specialty in most of his filmography, really. You know, Ridley Scott and James Cameron both brought their spin. And I think Fincher brings his, focusing in on the psychological and spiritual components, full of deprived symbolism and metaphor. Now, that's not to say it all works for me, but I really appreciated this different angle and the unique world created. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I do love that each director has their clear stamp on the series. There's just so much world building here by Fincher. Double Y chromosome, what? Like, like Mm -hmm. what's that? A planet with lice everywhere where the prisoners have chosen to remain as a skeleton crew? A somewhat familiar, but different religion seemingly crafted just for the inmates Hmm. like and it's not just the world building but it's the xenomorph too it is even more adaptable than we ever imagined it doesn't have to have a human host to uh, to keep procreating and when it and it can use anything as a host and it uses their dna to create itself so it really is kind of like a pregnancy, even more than it's been insinuated already, because it does use genes from its host to create itself, which is mm-hmm. just so fascinating. And then we also find out that the face huggers operate a lot like some other insects, like bees. Um, you know, they typically serve one function. They spit out one egg and create one new life. But if the hive is at risk and a queen is gone, now we know that the face huggers have an ability to create another queen and spit it out. And they can also produce a second egg to produce a drone for protection of the host of the queen, which is very cool. Very interesting. (laughs) And, you know, even if I'm not a big fan of the bull Zeno's design, because I I do think it's far too simplified. um, I did want, I, I, I do think that all of that is really cool. Now, I also want to highlight, you know, I did mention earlier that I did want to highlight a few things that I really like about this film, Uh, especially in this. These are all things that really pertain to the assembly cut, I feel like. Um, First off, I love the moments we get with the warden and the doctor where they really talk about kind of what's going on with the inmates. Uh, in in this version of the film, we get a lot more warden moments and even what's the doctor's name? I'm blanking on it. Um, uh, Clemens. Yep. Clemens is even more interesting. We dive into his, his past, but we also see how he protects others and what he's willing to, to share and not share to, uh, to keep his position here, his self imposed, uh, prison sentence on, on this, uh, prison planet, essentially, which I really, I really like, but we also get more moments with Dylan and Dylan's the, the expanding of Dylan and how he operates with this neo Christian death cult (laughs) (laughs) is really needed because honestly, in the theatrical theatrical version, I feel like a lot of his stuff at the end of the film doesn't quite work 
But when we have these moments where he's putting people in place, he's walking around, he's talking to them, he's mediating uh, problems within the group. I think that these make his character really interesting and really sell me on the links that he goes for everybody in the film. And the yeah, biggest- what's he say? He says, I'm not a leader. I just take care of my people. Yes. Or yes. <laughs> You're like, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which is true. I mean, he does just yeah. take care of us. And he immediately pushes all the responsibility onto Ripley when the time comes. Mm-hmm. But he also steps up and guides her when he needs to. Which is really, it just makes Dylan a very, one of my favorite characters of the Alien series. Yeah. Because he just, he is so different. He's leading a friggin' uh, cult <laughs> in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Um, but he's doing it in a way that is good for them. It's something that they need or else they really do devolve almost mm-hmm. immediately when they see Ripley. And then we also get Gallic. He's the biggest addition to this version of the film. Yes, he's in the other one, but we really get a trip through this madman's <laughs> mind, right? From the moment that he sees the alien to him sitting there uh, having some actually inter- interesting introspections, which is even commented on by Clemens, where he says, in an insane world, a sane man must seem insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. I, I really love that line, even if mm-hmm. it is like a bit on the nose. Um, but what, then we also expand on him going in and believing that maybe the alien is, uh, some sort of deity that's giving him guidance. Right. Yeah. And that's such a great side story that expands on it because we don't even get that expansion without this weird addition to, um, something that I don't feel like we see a lot of. So we, we have the attempted, uh, sexual assault on Ripley. Mm-hmm. Um, by three guys, and later on, well, it, it gets it gets subverted by Dylan, um, or not subverted, but well, well, there's a word for it. But it it gets stopped by Dylan. But later in the film, after the explosion happens and the the whole plan goes sideways, um, she is like tending to two of the people that did this to her, and it creates this really interesting character moment for one of them where he goes on to sacrifice himself for the rest by luring them into that, that containment facility so that they can shut the door and trap the alien with no escape. Mm-hmm. And that's so interesting and cool to give a really a character that doesn't deserve redemption, some sort of redemption in that final moment. Um, and there's just a lot of these additions that I'm really happy about and we even expand a little bit on ripley's drama with this whole situation (laughs) like there's a line where the uh clemens asks about if uh newt was her daughter and with cameron's version of his film Mm -hmm. on top of this version of the film it adds so many layers to how she felt about Newt. And then also just everything she's lost through this series. It's not just them, right? Mm -hmm. We're reminded that she's lost her daughter because of the alien. Like it's really destroyed her life several times over. And I just think it's so, it's just, it's just awesome. And then the other thing is like, I like that we expand on Utani and how Ripley kind of plays with them to see what, links they're going to go to for this thing. And then how quickly they keep pushing up this date to get there and a much faster timeline. 
um, with each new addition. Oh, Ripley's here. Okay, we'll be there pretty quick. Well, the alien's here. Okay, we'll be there, be there pretty quick. Oh, the, here's the scan of Ripley with the thing. We'll be there in two hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I think it's really, really interesting. And I, I think it's what... There's all these elements of and secrets of Wayland yutani that really makes them, I think, one of the be-all and end-all evil corporations uh, oh, yeah. in fiction. Because there, there's just so much... So many evil layers to mm-hmm. them. And one of those is when Bishop shows up, the real Bishop. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that he's the one that's been, that, that made the other Bishop and he's way more vile than his own Android. Mm-hmm. Um, are just these things that I like. And what the other thing I do want to touch on is the, uh, the nihilism. I know I mentioned it earlier, but this film really kind of clears a lot of that out by just expanding our characters and making us care about a lot of them a lot more, uh, just and all the things that happen with them, it feels like everybody has more of a point and that there is redemption for a lot of characters. And so having some of that really, I think, cuts um, a lot of the pain of the first five minutes for a lot of people out uh, for me. Hmm. Because it feels like that that initial moment, right, where we, where we lose Newt and Hicks. Um, it, it, I, I know it doesn't really sting a lot for you, but mm. you know, for me, it does quite a bit. A lot of fans, it does quite a bit, but to have these new characters who are more fleshed out, who are more, um, not, they're not, they're not going to replace those characters we lost, but they are interesting in their own right to give them all of these big character moments really, I think cuts a lot of the, the bitterness out mm. for me. Yeah. No. So you, you had a couple things to say about this film. Alex. I do. I do. I have a lot. I have a lot. I have a lot. And I'm trying to, and I'm trying not to go all into the, this version versus that version. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, you got to save some of the content, man. I will. I will. <laughs> yeah, so one of the things I like about this film is it harkens back to a trick pulled by the first film in setting up a major character but then, ma- but then making him more of a minor character, and that's Doctor Clemens yes, in this one. That's a shocker. Uh, it's a it's shocker. It's a shocker. I-, I love the bond um, and the trust that's built between him and Ripley, and I really was surprised at the decision to kill him off halfway through the film. That entire sequence, though, is actually my favorite sequence of the film. It's so disturbing and off-putting and surprising in the writing choice. Yes but also in the directorial decisions and editing. Um, Now, I will say, I don't think all of the writing choices work. Uh, You mentioned this moment, but at the climax of the film, I think the writers put too much stock on Ripley's trust of Bishop. I never felt like she would trust the human version of the android creator because in the last movie, it took her almost the entire movie to gain trust for the android. So there was a lack of suspense for me as to what she would choose to do, despite the emphasis of what seemed what it seemed like the writers wanted to be this Mm. big reveal in the human form of Bishop. I also think, um, you know, that the assembly cut version, since we're watching that version of the film, is just too long. Now, whether or not that's because of the added content or the pacing, we can talk about in MVM Plus. But one specific part in both versions is just this final chase scene through the tunnels. Um, it's too long and drawn out. I love the idea of outsmarting our opponent 
because we don't have a lack of we because we have a lack of weapons. I mean, what a juxtaposition to the last film, right? Yeah. Uh, but it still just feels a little too long for my taste, and it's just monotonous because we kind of get the same sort of shots over and over. We get running through the time, we just it's going to be the end or the door is going to close. It just goes on too long. I do agree with you, but I actually think the assembly cut feels about just as long as the theatrical for me, just because everything that's added is to me, necessary character and world driven. I don't feel like any of it's really uh, superfluous and I really appreciate it, but I will not disagree. That final chase is far too long. It's, it's, it's like you said, it feels like it's the same shot over and over. And since a lot of the area that this final chase scene takes place in, it's all the same color, <laughs> the same area. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it, they probably just use the same tunnel. It, I mean, they could, and we would not know because that's what it feels like. No. Mm-hmm. That being said, though, there is another perspective on this that I do kind of like. Well, well, it is a completely chaotic scene. We can't tell what's even going on. You know, everyone's scrambling Mm -hmm. through the same looking stuff. But what's cool is, is it does kind of put us in the same mindset as the characters in this moment. Because they are just as lost as we are. They're they're calling out all these door numbers, all these places they're at, and no one can quite understand what's happening. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so there's this chaos that is created by in, in almost the monotony of what's happening. But it's also conveying exactly what's happening in our minds to what's happening to the characters. Mm-hmm. But it goes on too long. I totally, I totally agree with that. My other issue with the film really boils down to the effects of the xenomorph at times, especially when it's like on a ceiling or something like that. While it does look really great at times because we use a practical prop, a practical costume. We then decide to make it CGI at times. And this is every time that we need to see the full body of this thing. Mm-hmm. It's CGI. Uh, and it's it's because of the, the size of this thing. It is smaller than a normal xenomorph. Um, it's, and it walks more like a cow. It, you know, it, it's, it walks on four legs, which is going to be hard to look good in a suit. I get that. But it's it's... The CGI is just isn't a good solution. We should just never have seen the bat, the bottom half of its body um, if we weren't going to be able to do it right or something like that, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah. Other than that, like we don't really get a full look at this thing again. And oh, I guess next week we got resurrections, and mm-hmm. you know that's when we get our first full look at a full body xenomorph. That's yeah. Uh, with its human, and it, I, I'm I'm excited for that. Well. I'm so excited for that. I'm excited to see the Xenomorph. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what, that's probably my other biggest problem because otherwise every, the, the setting is so great. It feels like mm-hmm. perfectly sculpted, just like, mm. but on a smaller budget as well. I mean, you don't see the, the, the lines of the budget except for in the Xenomorph, but this facility feels just as well crafted as the, as the, Oh, wow. I'm going to hate myself if I can't. Oh, the Nostromo. This is the ship from Alien 1. And it feels just Uh as well-crafted as everything else. It's just, you know, maybe lacking a little bit of that H.R. Geiger inspiration, maybe, for Mm. some people. But I I think everything kind of works pretty well other than that. 
Well, don't hit yourself too much, Alex, because <laughs> I wouldn't have remembered that. Uh, but I, I actually am with you. And that was one of my other things that I wanted to to put on my list as things that didn't quite sit right with me. And that was that was the alien effects. On the one hand, when we had practical effects, they were just as awesome, if not better than the other two films. As I said, that hospital room scene and that close up of the xenomorph. Uh, up against Ripley's face yeah. is awesome. But then we get weird computer generated sort of CG versions yes. of that alien that just, it's like hard to even call it CG. Because I know. <laughs> it just you don't, you don't like that light, that weird green hue to it? No, I don't. It's just like <laughs> some sort of like, I don't know, JavaScript. That's oh, geez. <laughs> who even knows? Right? Uh, Flash or something. Right. <laughs> Flash. Uh, <laughs> it just didn't age well compared to the practical effects of the last two films. Yeah. So it's not great when your two predecessors age better than you do effects-wise. Right? Um, now, I wouldn't say that's a major detractor for me, but it was a distraction. Yeah, I, I I can't I can't disagree. It's definitely a distraction, especially when they decide to put the xenomorph in the exact same position on the ceiling, and it's posed the exact same way like three times in a row in the title oh, scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's weird. That's probably the perfect um, illustration for the mon- monotony that that whole scene begins to feel. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so MVM Plus this week, Alex, as I said, we're going to talk about the comparisons between the theatrical cut and the assembly cut. And I, I think that this, I, I don't know, I, based off some of the things you've already said, I think we may have a couple of disagreements. So it'll be fun or not to hash those out <laughs> on MVM Plus. You can find that over at patreon.com forward slash MVM pod. But let's get into our awards, starting with our compelling character award, Alex. Mm. I picked Gallic because his arc is so interesting here as a viewer, right? We feel sympathy for him because he's being bullied by his other inmates for being how crazy for being very crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But then he has these moments where he's kind of meek and humble looking as well. I mean, he looks a little crazy, but he's also kind of meek and understated. And then, you know, he mentions that he hates that the the one guy died by the first victim of the alien died because uh, he was always nice to him. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, you get you get a lot of sympathy there. That he's he's no one believes that he saw the dragon, and he's yeah. strapped there. But then there's a few signs that things may not be right. Like he talks about mm-hmm. the girls that he used to like. And things would be going great until they didn't. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay. And then when he is finally let go, he goes on to that whole journey with with uh, releasing the alien because of this misplaced worship for it. I yeah. think it's so interesting. And I, I, I do kind of want to know the character's background. Like, I mean, it, I th- it seems kind of clear what he may have done, but just his yeah. thought process is so interesting. And he has, he talks about, like I said earlier, that, that pretty interesting line where in an insane world, a sane person must seem insane. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, he's very interesting. Um, he has like a, it's like a lust to see this thing again. Yeah. Right. Like he, he can't contain it. And it goes into these kind of religious elements that we see in this film where he is drawn to the xenomorph, the dragon, 
uh, as a sort of religious figure, uh, which is a whole other layer to add on in this one. But um, mm-hmm. my compelling character, we talked about him a little bit, is Dylan, um, yeah. the leader of this uh, Christian cult thing. Uh, here's the thing, though, I liked about Dylan. In, in addition to this idea that he doesn't think he's a leader, he just takes care of his people. Uh, <laughs> in addition to that, I, I don't think this film actually puts religion in a bad light. No. And I don't think it puts Dylan in a bad light at it all, doesn't. actually. I think you kind of touched on this. Um, he is leading this group of pretty messed up people in a way that gets them to respond and that gets them to rise above uh, their base instincts and to do something larger than themselves. Uh, And he's the only one that's able to do that, is able to tap into that sense of this bigger purpose, this bigger calling. Um, But it couldn't be done just naturally, right? They, They need a leader and he is that leader. Uh, even if he doesn't want to say that he is. So so Dylan, to me, was my compelling character. Um, he's such a great character and so well acted. Oh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> what about your most memorable line award? Well, my most memorable line was in response to Dylan, who uh, he tells Ripley that, you know, you don't want to know me. I'm a murderer and a rapist, right? Uh, or something yes. along those lines. And Ripley says, well... I guess I must make you nervous and then grabs a seat at the table with them. I just both times watching this film, I was like, that is an awesome line. And what a great response. What a great response. Uh, she was, she was great. And what moment. I like about, about that you? line from Dylan yeah, yeah. is that you don't quite uh-huh. know what to believe. You kind of, mm. I, I believe that he probably murdered somebody like that's possible. But I don't know if mm. I buy the other part of it. And I, I wonder if that's just him trying to get them to go away. It could be him establishing himself in a pecking order as well. Whereas if he has done mm. something light, maybe people won't follow him in some sort of way as well. I, just, it, I mean, Dylan's a very good, compelling character, like you said. Like, you just don't know what his background actually is. Yeah, for sure. But he could have done that stuff and found himself, you know, later. Um Oh yeah, exactly. And then my my line's actually from Dylan. It's after uh, what happens to Ripley with the the attempted sexual assault. He hits one of them with the pipe, and then he starts beating one of them relentlessly. And he le- he stands up, and he's got the club. He's got his crowbar with a little bit of meat at the end from someone he's been hitting. And he tells Ripley, he says, "Take off. I got to educate some brothers. <laughs> got to discuss some matters of the spirit." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely love yeah. that moment for sure for sure uh what about your can't believe the acting award i gotta give it to sigourney weaver we've seen her act quite a bit in the last two movies but this one she mm-hmm. she has a rock a rough start and she <laughs> has to act her way through like a lot of emotions and just a lot of processing and then also when she finds out that she's got a queen inside of her you know she really sells all those moments and especially her big finale as well. And I love the moment where you were talking about earlier where she backs up from Bishop and she closes the gate. Mm-hmm. She just does such a wonderful job in this film. Uh, I could see why she picked this movie, especially with this cut of the film. Um, it's just very, honestly, it's a much more emotionally taxing role. I feel like than the last two. 
She picked this movie? What do you mean? Well, she didn't have to come back. There was no contract uh, for her to come back, you know? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I can't believe the acting award goes to uh, Lancaster. I mean, Charles Dance, right? <laughs> uh, who is awesome, right? Uh, like, honestly, his acting, he was just such a cool character through the first half of this movie and just so so nuanced and, and understated, but very subtle movements of his face just tell you everything that you need to know about this character. He has genuine empathy. Um, he has genuine remorse. That moment where he finally kind of tells his story is this religious moment, right? This is a moment of vulnerability, this moment of opening up, uh, and it's followed by his death, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is telling. It, it is interesting, as I said, that entire sequence is, is my favorite sequence in this in this film. Uh, and it, that character doesn't work without a great performance, and, and Charles Dance definitely brings that. Yeah. You know, seeing him, I, I forgot that, you know, I don't even think I knew who that actor was. Yeah. And then I saw, but then when I saw, like, back, back then, or when I, whenever I've yeah. seen this movie before, but it's like you said, it's like Game of Thrones reference. And as soon as I oh, saw him, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like maybe yeah. the earliest movie I've seen this actor. Oh, exactly. <laughs> like he just, he, yeah, I looked him up because Amelia and I were both looking at him. We're like, where do I, where do I know this guy from? And so I look him up <laughs> and immediately we're like, oh yeah, <laughs> he looks much older, but in a completely different role. Uh, really, really good actor, actually. Yes. Yes. Uh, what about your, oh, that's a good shot. Uh, mine is, so it's during the tense moment where Ripley's climbing out of the mold where they're going to pour the lead. And mm-hmm. um, Dylan's down there with the xenomorph, but it's an over-the-top shot where all the steam is coming in, and you just see the top of the xenomorph's head, so you know that elongated skull poking out of it. It's so cool looking. <laughs> it's such a cool mm-hmm. shot, and you know it's something we haven't really even talked about. But I really like the music in this. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit, uh, you know. It, we've introduced some hard rock into some of the tense moments, <laughs> which yeah. was interesting, but I actually think it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really liked it. And I liked the score. And I liked that they leaned into something from aliens where they, they're using certain sounds to imitate heartbeat. Uh, and some mm-hmm. of the tense moments at the end. And I just really like that about the, I was out the second viewing through it. I really actually enjoyed the score. Um, whereas the first time I was like, I don't know about that, but I, I, I've, I've come around on it, actually. I was mixed on it. I was definitely mixed on, on the score. Um, there's nothing really that stands out to me as far as like a standout melody or anything like that. There were a couple moments where I also thought like the music was a little over the top. There were a couple other moments, though, where I thought the music was used well. So it's a bit of a mixed bag for me. Uh, my Oh, That's a Good Shot Award, though. It is actually from the assembly cut and it's the shot of Dr. Clemens right at the beginning of the mm-hmm. film as he's walking towards uh, Ripley's body. Uh, he's this long shot from a distance and is really building this atmosphere of this facility. Mm-hmm. But he, fr- from a distance, he looks like a majestic wizard type of character <laughs> and it's really cool. Uh, I'm like, wow, that is 
he, he just sets him up as, as so majestic. It really starts to establish that this character is this uh, force to be reckoned with. Um, and so I really like that shot. And, and I think we only get that in the assembly cut. So I really like yeah, that. Yeah, it was def- A lot of that world building and those exterior shots are only from the assembly yeah. cut. And, that and is they were good. Sure. Those are really cool shots. Um, there was also like some shots with like the oxen and stuff yes. uh, that are really interesting. And that was only assembly cut. But we'll get more into that. My unique award was the more complex than meets the eye award. And this goes to the character of Francis Aaron. And Francis Aaron is the company man um, who wants to let the the company resolve everything, right? Um, He's like, they're here to help us. They're here to help us. And it's interesting. And, you know, he's got a wife and kids back at home. He says that a couple times. He's trying to be practical. He's trying to kind of uh, toe the line. He's also trying to be reasonable. He's He genuinely, like, has empathy for Ripley. Like, he doesn't want to show her the scan of the alien inside of her. So he's really this torn <laughs> character. But ultimately, he decides to try to bash Bishop, right? And ultimately goes against the company at the end that leads to his downfall. But there's just a lot to that character. He feels like a fleshed out human character, uh, full of flaws, but just absolutely someone that's kind of going back and forth and not quite sure where he fits in or how he belongs. Because at the beginning of this film, he was just second in command, right? Mm -hmm. Um, in, In a way. So very interesting character. He's more complex than meets the eye, and that's Francis Aaron. And that actually goes into my my unique award, most prized okay. edition award. This is one of my favorite additions to the to the to the unique awards, and it's because, like you said, it's more complex than meets the eye. I okay. think Aaron eighty five, as everybody calls him, because of because of his yeah. IQ. <laughs> um, <laughs> this film actually really, this cut especially, really leans into. I wouldn't say he's an idiot and he's not, but the lack of an maybe intelligence and memory um, that he has. First off, we get a lot of moments where he's forgetful. He has to be told things multiple times in this version. Um, and when he goes and does that scan, like you said, that he, he finds the alien, he actually finds it because of his incompetence. She keeps telling him to look at the base of her skull and he's down in her stomach because he can't figure this thing out (laughs) (laughs) because she's worried about hairline fractures at the base of her skull for being why she's nauseated and all this stuff. And he just accidentally finds it because he doesn't know how to work the machine. And I love that this discovery is because of his incompetence, but Mm -hmm. he's not a bad guy. It's like you said, he's almost like wishful thinking, right? He wants to go back Mm -hmm. to see his family and he wants to do whatever it takes to do that. But there is a moment where it's pretty clear. He realizes that that's probably not going to be an option. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, for sure. Um, All right, Alex, time for our final thoughts and tiered rating of this one. Uh, I'll go first. I, so I think Alien 3 is an absolutely fine addition to the Alien franchise so far. Uh, probably even a little underrated if you ask fans of this franchise um, what this is all about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an underrated 
entry into the series. We do have fantastic world building. We have some great characters. We have some surprises. We have some great alien xenomorph moments. There are some distractions here when it comes to the alien CGI. There are a couple of writing choices that I don't particularly like. I'm also a bit split on what I think about. I didn't mention this already, but I'm a bit split on what I think about um, the alien, basically Ripley being pregnant with an alien, Mm. right? Uh, I don't quite follow all of it um, through. It makes more sense in the assembly cut, I'll say, than it does in uh, the theatrical cut. Mm. But I I don't quite buy all of it. and it does make for kind of a, a sad sort of ending, <laughs> but that's okay. Like I like the decision that she makes at the end. I think it's probably the right decision. Um, ultimately, even though it is nihilistic, but overall I enjoyed this film a lot more than I thought I would based off others reactions to it. Uh, I found myself engaged by the themes um, I, I thought the religious angle was very interesting. Um, the characters really had me engaged. So this film, I don't think it quite makes the Godzilla tier, uh, but I think it's a high gamma tier for me, right on that edge, right on that precipice of being a Godzilla tier. Wow, really? Yeah. So it is a Godzilla tier or it's just near a Godzilla tier? No, it's right on that precipice. It's close, but not quite. Well. Eric, I do want to ask you one quick question for our listeners. Yeah. Did, do, do you think the alien popping out of her chest makes a difference between the two cuts? Well, that's the MVM Plus discussion. Okay, we'll man. save it. We'll save it. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. As for me, this is a Godzilla tier. I, I think this movie is excellent. Um, I think especially this version, we get expand expands on our characters in ways that is very important for me to connect with them and care about them even more when they do meet their demise and sells a lot of their actions at the end of the film. Um, I really like the world that we've got built on this new planet. Uh, a lot of the expenditures we have on the lore of the xenomorph um, and just people in general is, you know, I'm really interested in what the devil Y is. Um, and just, I want to learn more about Waylon Utani, but really when it all comes down to it, it's, it's the character drama that really works for me. The surprises mm-hmm. of killing someone we think is one of our main characters, a, a replacement for Hicks in a lot of ways mm-hmm. with, um, uh, Clem- Clemens. And mm-hmm. I just really like the, our solution and kind of the back to basics nature. Uh, instead of going bigger and more bombastic, we've really scaled things down in an interesting way. And the, the ending is, I think, really great. Um, I love the, the the sacrifice at the end, and mm-hmm. uh, you know the the redemption a lot of characters who frankly don't deserve it get is pretty interesting it's like you said there's a lot of interesting themes here that the film ties into just enough for it to be interesting and not just like kind of an oversight um Mm -hmm. i am disappointed at the design of the alien i'm disappointed at the cg of the alien but overall for me those are minor complaints and a 
really great film. Nice. I like it. Yeah. So next week, Alex, we have Alien Resurrection. Oh, boy. Um, Alien Resurrection uh, makes me think of a naughty rhyme. Yes, I know. It's the one I keep going to. I will just skip the rhyme this time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Um. Don't don't do it. <laughs> okay, I won't. Will, re- will Alien Resurrection make us wish that there was uh, less of a studio insurrection? I don't know. Mm. I don't even know if they meddled a lot with it or not. I would imagine they did if they did it with this movie. But we'll see. <coughs> <laughs> uh, as always, thank you for listening to Monsters vs. <laughs> Men. You can leave us feedback on Alien 3 and our opinions of it at mvmpod.com or email us at mvmpod at gmail.com and we'll read that feedback on the show. You can become a bargain base mite at patreon.com forward slash mvmpod and receive weekly bonus content including special reviews, interviews, and host chats. And if you can't join at this time, a review or share always helps. Go ahead, share this episode. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornett, the executive producer are Kevin Alexander, Faye Basier, Christopher Clavero, John Freeman, and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, which forms Cell Block B, Louis Loops, Senor Honda, Do the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next time, don't... Untie the crazy person. (laughs) (laughs) Try to stay alive. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. Yeah. Other than that, like, we don't really get a full look at this thing again. And, oh, I guess next week we got Resurrections. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's when we get our first full look at a full body xenomorph that's. Yeah. Uh, with its human, and it, I, I'm I'm excited for that. Well, I'm so excited for that. I'm excited to see the xenomorph. <laughs>